0: No, I did not fart. <laughs> <I was just laughs> the prancer. Answer.
1: Welcome to Art Gab. This is Ashley. Hi, Ashley. This is Kendra. Hello. Any um, any fun plans coming up? Um. Uh.
0: i I have some artwork in the um, Lake Oswego Arts Festival. Um, there's this group called Arts in Oregon, um, who actually will be interviewing here in a few weeks, but, um, they're curated in a show for the, uh, for the Lake Oswego Arts Festival, and it's called Art as Heritage, I think, and Ashley, or you're Ashley. Um, mom, um, <laughs> mom, Oliver, and I are all in it, so we all have artwork. Yeah. In it. So that'll be cool. So that's, uh, the, in the last weekend of June, And then also, I just got into a show at the Umpqua Community College Gallery, but it's not for two years, so watch out for it, everybody, (laughs) in February 2021. Mark it on your calendar. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, and I got a grant. Nice. I got a grant to do a project, um, a Regional Arts and Culture Council project grant. It's
1: pretty awesome. I'm still working out all the details. Look at you, just living your gossip. best life, getting all the yeah, art things. Finally, I, oh my
0: gosh, I was going through a dry spell there. Cool, but yeah, so things are going well. How are you doing?
1: Good. What's the gossip? Good. Um, staying busy. My friend has a store in Salem that's gonna be. It's called Gatsby Salem. Mm-hmm. So, her and another friend and I. Did A little promo video with uh, yeah, so I'm kind of like between the yeah, between the wig shop and like other people's things, like that tends to be becoming the thing is putting out funny little videos to advertise the shop and stuff. So that was fun. She sells these um stereos that are called bump box, like a boom box, but yeah.
0: Bump box.
1: Yeah. Um, But they're pretty cool. Cool. Yeah. So that's kind of what we were like doing a shout out to. Nice. Yeah. So, our show today, we're talking about
0: Francis Bacon and Lucian Freud. So, a couple of British friends, art friends. Um, So, this is Kendra. Hey, everybody. I'm going to start by talking about Francis Bacon. Okay. So, I remember learning about him in undergrad. And I've always liked his paintings. Um, But for this, I I tried to find a few more things about him. So I went to artnet.com as well as Wikipedia to kind of find this information. And I'll put all those images and links on our website, which is www.sumptowncreative.com. Okay, so British figurative painter known for his emotionally charged raw imagery and fixation on personal motives... Francis Bacon, was born on October 28, 1909. Best known for his depictions of popes, crucifixions, and portraits of close friends, his abstracted figures are typically isolated in geometric cages, which give them vague 3D depth, set against flat, nondescript backgrounds. Bacon said that he saw images in series, and his work, which numbers around 590 paintings along with many others that he destroyed, typically focuses on a single subject for sustained periods, often in triptych or diptych formats. His output can be broadly described as sequences or variations on a single motif, including the 1930s Picasso-influenced biomorphs and furies, the 1940s male heads isolated in rooms or geometric structures, the 1950s screaming popes, the mid-to-late 1950s animals and lone figures, the early 1960s crucifixions, the mid-late 60s portraits of friends, the 1970s self-portraits, and finally the cooler, more technical 1980s paintings. Bacon took up painting in his 20s, having drifted in the 1920s and early 30s as an interior decorator, bon vivant, and gambler. So his dad bred racehorses, and his mother was an heiress to steel business and coal mine. So he spent his childhood kind of between London and County Kildare in Ireland. Um, he was also, he was born in um, Dublin. His um, mother was Australian, so he was kind of like kind of wealthy and kind of traveled a lot as a kid. He spent his teens in London. He kind of moved away. He was homosexual, and his father kind of disapproved, and so he kind of didn't necessarily kick him out, but but Francis Bacon, you know, like like anyone in their teens or early 20s, was looking to find himself, so he moved to London to do that. <laughs> From what I read, I think he um, he was kind of broke, living on his own. He had a small... Um, a bit of money saved away, but his parents gave him. But he was also took out an ad in the newspaper as a, what was it called, male escort. So he kind of lived off of that for a while. He moved to Berlin. He lived there for a short period of time. And that's where he saw um, Fritz Lang's Metropolis, as well as Sergi Eisenstein's Battleship Potomac, as well as um, Nicholas Poussin's painting, Massacre of the Innocents in which um, all of these things helped inspire his paintings. So so the paint, the movies were kind of dark film noir. They all like got him into the studio for the first time. He said that his artistic career was delayed because he spent too long looking for subject matter that could sustain his interest. His breakthrough came um, with a 1944 triptych, Three Studies for Figures of the Base of the Crucifixion, which sealed his reputation as a uniquely bleak chronicler of the human condition. Which those that painting is going to be on our website. This is at the Tate Britain, mm. and that last night that uh, we were in London. <laughs> so so we okay. So everybody, we went on a big family trip to London and Ireland. There were like eight of us. It was crazy. A toddler in <laughs> the museum was nuts, but Oliver really loved this painting so much. And then it's a black and white picture, actually, but it's all orange in the background. And it's like a, it's a triptych, three studies of figures, and the last one is kind of screaming. And I remember when Oliver saw that, he started making the same face, like the screaming face. Mm -hmm. It was so awesome. So I know Oliver really likes scary things, but um, he was not scared at all. He just really loved this painting. He loved the forms. I I loved it too. So it's a little bit frightening, but it's like, it's about being human, really. Um,
1: Does he use a lot of primary colors, like bright colors?
0: He, um, His color palette's really cool. He'll, he'll do mostly grays or browns, but then with like a single pop of color. So like mm-hmm. all of this is gray and brown and then with a bright orange background. Or this one is like black and gray and brown with a big purple um, flat flooring. So I'm pointing to the study for a self-portrait triptych of 1985. Really, really... He's, like, just, I mean, okay, so the imagery is exciting. It's based in, like, the human condition, a little bit frightening imagery. But just formally, they're exciting, too. He's, like, got some really messy paint. He's squishing it around. It's, like, that's lots of energy. But then it's paired with a real flat surface, too, and like, in the background. And I love that. I hate the word juxtaposition, but it totally fits here. I love that juxtaposition. Um, what does that word even mean? It means two things next to each other that kind of contrast but also also heighten the awareness of each, right? Mm-hmm. Because the background is so flat, it makes the painterly body like more textured feeling. Mm-hmm. and the textured body makes the flat area feel more flat. But so so I guess what I'm saying is the subject matter is really exciting, but also just the paint itself like is really interesting. And I also read um, this book called Dr- Daily Rituals.
1: I'm reading that right now. Oh, awesome. We should, we should, well, audio, when I say reading, I mean audio oh, booking because yeah. that's all I do. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so just when, assume when I say reading, I'm, I'm listening. Because, because we can't read because we don't know how to read. Apparently, yeah, I can't. <laughs> well, because I have to be doing something I'm at totally, all totally Yeah.
0: So you know, I've read, the, I've listened to that book on tape too, and it's like not necessarily a well written
1: book. I'm like halfway through, but it's very well like, this is the artist. This is their ritual. It's very like listed, and it's
0: interesting, right? Yeah. Like it's still interesting. So, have you gotten to the Francis Bacon one yet?
1: I, I don't know because I listened to that and then another. I listened oh, to like ten. Oh, I books think it's towards the end
0: anyway. So you'll get to it. But basically, yeah. I think that he like he he had an apartment. He lived with friends for a while. He lived with his nan his nanny his whole life. I kind of love that, by the way. His
1: whole life,
0: <laughs> like he, he she she died, I think, in the fifties. So they were just like best friends. Um, mm-hmm. Nanny Lightfoot was her name. Um, But so he had this place, but I think he spent most of his time in his studio, like his and he and the bar. He was a big gambler and a big drinker too. drinking, gambling and painting. That was kind of his life. Um, A lot
1: of the people in that book seems to be their their thing, their
0: MO. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So with that in with that in mind, like, have you ever seen pictures of his his studio, by the way? It was a mess.
1: Francis
0: Bacon's was oh it was insane it was like like you could not see the floor and or the ceiling or the walls it was like just like caked with paint like <laughs> everything was a painting palette it was nice. really cool okay so uh, so that was kind of the life he was living kind of a wild life um, hung out with a lot of artists really started to build a reputation for himself 1963 um, he met George Dyer at a pub up until that point. Francis Bacon dated a lot of older men, and George Dyer was a younger man, younger lover, and he was a subject of many of his paintings. And um, from, from what I've read, those paintings, they had the energy and quality of his other paintings, a little bit like a film noir, but then they were also really tender and sweet. George Dyer was kind of a fighter, came from like a family of criminals, and he, he just sounds like a scrappy, he sounds like a scrappy guy. I Mm -hmm. guess he chain smoked constantly. And in 1971, eight years later, Dyer committed suicide. It's really sad. It was, uh, it kind of put Francis Bacon, made him more somber. Um, His work kind of affected his work. Despite this bleak kind of existential outlook and that kind of pervaded in all of his artwork, apparently Francis Bacon was really charismatic, very articulate, well read person he was really fashionable actually he he liked to dress up in um, his mom's underwear when he was a kid (laughs) (laughs) i love that um and he was like an interior designer and he also did a lot with fashion so he was really like even though his studio was insanely messy he was always really well put together um even though he spent you know all of his days in the studio and nights in the studio and then the rest of his time in the bar, he was still like, he'll st- still looked really good. So that was kind of interesting. He still has ties to Dublin and they brought his studio there. And I remember Christopher and I saw that we went to that gallery.
1: Oh,
0: um, one of those free days that we had in Dublin. Okay. I and remember. It was really yeah.
1: Cool. I remember you guys did that.
0: You could kind of peek through this glass to see the studio it was really neat and apparently it took like all these historians to kind of come and and take apart the studio inch per inch just to get it the same it was really an interesting thing also when he died his um his gallery the Marlborough Art Gallery in London along with his he left all of his his money to someone I can't remember oh my gosh I wish I had written this down But um, a friend, basically, a kind of a a mentee, a mentor, a mentee kind of relationship. A friend of his was able to handle his estate. And it was worth 11 million pounds at the time. It's an insane amount of money. And then also in 2013, his painting, The Three Studies of Lucian Freud, set the world record as the most expensive piece of art sold at auction. So he was kind of, he became well known as one of the best living artists ever in London, and then after he died, he left this, in, this intense legacy as well. And that is um, the wild life of Francis Bacon. Oh, and if you're wondering, he is related to the earlier Francis Bacon, the um, politician and, and scientist philosopher, Francis, Sir Francis Bacon. He was like his great-nephew or something. Oh, okay,
1: yeah.
0: cool. Yeah. All right, Ashley will be talking about Lucian Freud today. Um, Lucian Freud was born on December 8, 1922. He was a British painter and draftsman specializing in figurative art and is known as one of the foremost 20th century portraitists. He was born in Berlin, the son of Jewish architect Ernst L. Freud and the grandson of Sigmund Freud. His family moved to Britain in 1933 to escape the rise of Nazism. From 1942 to 43, he attended Goldsmiths College in London. He enlisted in the Merchant Navy during the Second World War. And Ashley will take it from here.
1: His studio, later on, is very... You'll see in a lot of his artwork, his studio, he mm-hmm. just painted basically in there. So in all of his artwork, you start to see the same floor, the same type of... not. There's different poses in each thing um but you could tell there's definitely he has a theme of how he does things. He had a day studio which was natural light and he stood while he painted in these really life-size paintings. Mm-hmm. A lot of nudity and everything, but he had a day studio where he worked every day. Mm-hmm. Um his year his his career was 60 plus years. He painted up until like the week of his death, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then he had a night studio where it was like really bright, well lit room, but like different kind of lighting. Mm-hmm. So I think in his paintings, you could definitely see the day versus the night. Mm-hmm. But he definitely had a theme in his work. You could tell it was his style. Mm-hmm. With like Bacon, he also had a unique studio. Mm-hmm. So he would mix all his colors up. He he never really had primary colors in mm-hmm. his his pictures. They're really gray mm-hmm. is the best way I could describe Low saturation. Them. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know what the right word to describe it, but they're kind of like off-putting a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, someone just pointed out to me the
0: other day that often he looks at the model from on top, Mm-hmm. so there's this um and then the ang- there's there's often angles mm-hmm. so in respect so kind of like Francis Bacon he uses a lot of angles and mm-hmm. odd viewpoints but then with Francis Bacon he's above the model a lot of times and that might lead might be the off-putting thing that you're talking about because it's kind of like um it's a weird power dynamic, right? Like, as a viewer, you're viewing someone at an angle that you're, like, approaching them or above them. I mean, it's a weird...
1: Well, that I never thought of it that way. That's a good point. With him, I was more talking about the color feeling. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and the grayness of it and the low saturation of color. Later in his later work, he has, like, a distinct style of really exaggerating the body's lack of muscle mm-hmm. and lines in the face. But really, like I saw like, in a video his model and then the portrait he did of his model. And it's like mm-hmm. not flattering, really. Yeah, It's like, but it's great. Like, I don't know how to explain it. It's more just like you could tell in his later work the paint is really thick. Mm-hmm. And really layered and almost the lines and the fat in the body is almost exaggerated. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't trying to make the model like an airbrush look. It was very real and mm-hmm. very like not always pleasant, not always like he wanted quote to be, unquote beautiful.
0: Yeah, it's like he wanted to be honest and he also just really liked flesh. Yeah, really it was really fleshy. Yeah. Um, And they called it impasto when you get really thick with paint. It's mm. called impasto.
1: Mm -hmm. So, yeah, in his early work, it's a little more flat. Um, His later work gets a little more, um, But uh, okay, yeah, backtracking again. Going back to his studio, he would mix his paint up Mm -hmm. several times, like just trying to get the right color. But on the wall, you could see his little spatula marks. Oh, yeah, he was testing things. Because he wanted to keep his studio floor really clean.
0: Oh, that makes sense, because he has nude models in there. Yeah, But
1: his assistant, who helped him a lot towards the end of his life, uh, his assistant's name is David Dawson. When you watch videos of him in in the studio, you see, like, still paint marks everywhere. Mm -hmm. But David had to, like, make a little mark where the chair would go. Oh, yeah, so you were in the same position. Yeah, in the same position, but the interviewer was like, how could you tell where that mark was, but, like... He had a system to figure it out, but to me, Fran or um, Lucian seemed really simple, hmm. but also routine. Mm-hmm. From like the video I saw, I was like, he definitely had a way of doing things, and he did it the same way all the time. He had it was kind of cool. These like lightweight rags he would wear as an apron mm-hmm. to like wipe paint off and like um, clean his brush, but he had those piled up in a corner, but in some of his paintings, the nude model would be laying across those rags. Mm. So, like, he, he, you could just tell when you start to look at his artwork that, oh, this was done. This, you could see his studio because mm-hmm. all his stuff was done there. He would often clean his brush after each stroke when painting flesh so that the color remained constantly variable. Mm. But, yeah, his, that's a good way to describe it, though. His work is very fleshy. Like a lot, mm-hmm. lots of it, lots of focused on that color, really. Yeah. I
0: like that you're mentioning the studio because a lot of artists like do that. And I love that too, where they allow the viewer to not only get into the subject that they're painting, but also see a little bit behind the curtain, right? Mm-hmm. They get to see a little bit of their own process. I mean, I think Picasso did that really well. And, and, Francis Bacon did that too. Like there are little hints to the studio space behind him or the self portraits he did seem to be honest in a way that was, he was letting the viewer in. Mm -hmm. And actually that Francis Bacon and he, I I meant to mention this earlier, but Picasso was like, he was a huge fan of Picasso. Like he definitely like um, looked up to Picasso and it sounds to me like Lucian Freud kind of looked up to Francis Bacon a little little bit, too.
1: Yeah, I didn't really read much about their relationship. I know they knew each other, but... um,
0: They were really close friends until the 70s, and then something happened, and and neither of them wanted to mention what happened.
1: So he did a lot of Mm life-size. I mentioned earlier he had a day studio with Mm -hmm. light, and then he had a night studio. But he worked all day, basically, just Mm -hmm. painting all the time up until his death. Um, he, he had a lot of use of animals in his composition. Uh, you see like a white dog and this one painting here of his wife, Kitty. Okay. So Freud's subjects needed to make a very large and uncertain commitment of their time and were often the people in his life, his friends, family, and fellow painters, lovers, and children, Um, The subject matter is autobiographical. It's all to do with hope and memory and sensuality and involvement, really, is what he stated. Most of his paintings, the people were anonymous, and he didn't often identify the people in the paintings. In the 1970s, he spent 4,000 hours on a series of paintings of his mother About which art historian Lawrence Going observed, it was more than 300 years since a painter showed as directly and as visually his relationship with his mother, and that was Rembrandt. Mm. So he painted from life and usually spent a great deal of time with each subject demanding the model's presence, even while working on the background of the portrait. So he really just wanted the model there. Like sounds kind of all the time.
0: Sounds kind of like Alice Neal. Do you remember how yeah. she did that? Mm-hmm. It's about the relationship between them more so than the painting. That's interesting because um, by the way, Francis Bacon he mainly worked from photos. Oh. So remember how I said he was influenced by the film noir? Mm-hmm. They, he loved like what paint, or what photography could do to abstraction. thought that was kind of interesting so so friend so so even though they're friends and they're working alongside each other they and they're both working with figuratively it sounds to me like francis bacon and lucian freud had a lot of differences too um what was lucian freud's like personal life like
1: i'm getting to it
0: are you getting to it (laughs) okay
1: i was just gonna say too um A rapport of his models was necessary, so that's a lot of the reason maybe he kept them around. He wanted to kind of get to know them, but he was characterized as an outstanding recounter and mimic. Regarding the difficulty in deciding when a painting is completed, he said that he feels he's finished when he gets the impression he's working on somebody else's painting. Paintings were divided into day paintings done in natural light, like I said earlier, and night paintings done under artificial light. And the sessions and lighting were never mixed, so he never did his day painting at night also. One was either done in the other at the same place all the time. Um, so what I was wanting to bring up was his assistant, David Dawson, owns his studio and kept it exactly how he left it, but he's not going to put it on display for the public. Um, so the first, the first painting I wanted to bring up was uh, a 1995—and f- it's called Benefits Supervisor Sleeping. Um, and it's like an obese, naked woman um, named Sue Tilley, who's an author. And it, so that—the reason I picked that painting is it's, it held the world record for highest price paid for a painting by a living artist— and at the time, it was sold at thirty-three point six million dollars. That's when he was still alive. The same subject called uh, "Benefits Supervisor Resting." So instead of sleeping, resting is a different piece, but the same model. It sold for fifty-six point two million in two thousand and fifteen. Four years after his death, making the most expensive, making it the most expensive Freud paintings sold at auction that same model um another so we'll post that painting another painting was after shazen it's a um and this is notable because of its unusual shape it was purchased by the national gallery of australia for 7.4 million the top left section of the painting has been grafted on the main section below and closer inspection reveals a horizontal line where the two sections were joined so it's like a Oddly shaped painting, same color tones as the uh, benefits supervisor sleeping, um, same fleshy skin tones. So the last painting I wanted to kind of talk about was his of his wife Kitty Epstein, and it's her with a white dog, and that's the title of it. Girl with a white dog was created using a subtitle brush and. He used to apply the paint with linear precision, almost like a drawing. subtle shading evokes a host of textures exuding softness, warmth, and the absence of immediate tension. The robe has slipped off the sitter's shoulder, exposing her right breast. Coupled with the absent stare of the woman and the dog, the muted colors and faint contours give this composition an overall flatness. The sitter is Kitty, um, his first wife, and noted beauty, whose father was artist Jacob Epstein. The dog was one of the two bull terriers they were given as a wedding gift. So to end it, I was just gonna talk a little bit about his personal life. Um, Very private man, like I kind of mentioned, his first wife was Kitty Epstein, the daughter of sculptor Jacob Epstein and socialite Kathleen Garman. They had two daughters, So he has a daughter named Annabelle Freud and Annie Freud. So they were married um, in 1948, and that marriage ended in 1952. Uh, In 1952, he eloped with the Guinness heir and writer Lady Caroline. They divorced in 1953. Um, The interesting fact is that he's rumored to have fathered as many as 40 children. Um, So that's kind of an interesting rumor going around. Although this number is generally accepted as an exaggeration, 14 children have been identified, two from Freud's first marriage and 12 by various mis- mistr- mistresses. Um, I think they just found a 15th. Oh, 15. they did? Yeah. <laughs> so he had a lot of kids, <laughs> but a very private man. Mm-hmm. So um, Another interesting fact to kind of end it ended on is a lot of his kids were his models too, but... I think that's when they felt when he felt closest to people. Maybe is like while he was painting him, mm-hmm. but other than that, he wasn't really close. I I did hear like his daughter, I believe, saying like he she got to cut his hair once and it was so nice because she actually got to like touch him and be close to him. So mm. I thought that was kind of interesting. Mm. So a, kind of a secretive man, but but you said you read mm. more about him and Bacon's relationship.
0: Um. I don't, I mean, from what I could tell, like, no one really knows what happened. Like, they were really close friends until the 70s. I mean, that's a big, hmm. that would have made Francis Bacon 61. Like, they were friends for a big part of their life. I'm not sure exactly what happened. But they seemed like they had a very, very led very different lives. I mean, if if Francis Bacon was at the bars and gambling and moving we were in a shaker and working, like, from what I could tell, he's that Francis Bacon never slept, but then Lucian Freud, like you said, had a really predictable schedule. Kind of a private guy, he doesn't seem like the type to go out and drink all night. I think
1: he was a gambler though. Oh, so is what I kind of heard. And mm-hmm. like I also heard that he didn't really know what to do with all the money his paintings were bringing in. Like mm. when you do like a when you watch some of the videos, his his house is very simple. His studio is very simple. So I think he liked to live very simply and like. He wasn't extravagant at all, so I think he liked to gamble away the money because he didn't really want that money. Mm-hmm. It's kind of what I gathered, but I could be totally wrong, but that's kind of what I got the feeling of. And he didn't really go to any of his art openings, but he did travel with his assistant to MoMA mm-hmm. in New York, and he went to that opening of his show, but people started to see that he was there, and then he left. So I think he just really liked to like not be in the public eye.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas, like Francis Bacon I think loved it. He, like he was charismatic and outgoing and yeah. So really it sounds like they're both really interesting people.
1: It's uh, like Matisse and Picasso they're alike but they're not. Mhm. Yeah. Similar like
0: they both had such strong visions that you could only let people so close to you when you're when you're focusing on your vision for things. I think mean, yeah. I could only speculate because, like, there's not a ton written about it exactly that I could find, but...
1: Yeah. Well, the hour-long video I I kind of watched off and on about Lucian was just, like, he, he had a lot of lovers, a lot of kids, mm-hmm. a lot of people in his life, but he was still, like, you were only really close to him when he was painting you or mm-hmm. something, which was interesting. Hmm.
0: Yeah. There was something else I was going to say. I can't remember. <laughs> um... Oh, he painted the official portrait of the queen.
1: Oh, yeah. did, yeah. Yeah, I saw that. It was kind of funny seeing her sit there, getting her (laughs) painting done. And then you look at the the rendition that he did, and it's not very flattering.
0: It's like he honored the crown more than he honored her. Like in the painting, the crown is like beautifully painted, and then her face is like...
1: Yeah. He's very talented, Mm -hmm. but just like he doesn't flatter you at all. Like he'll just paint what... You know, every crevice, every little detail he wants to, mm-hmm. but that's what makes him unique. I mean.
0: Yeah. He passed away not that long ago, right?
1: Uh, 2011, I believe. Yeah,
0: And he, I think he's in the, yeah, I think he's in that cemetery. Not the one that we went to when we were in London, but the the big one, the North, is it the Hyde? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The big, the big cemetery.
1: oh, that's another thing. South Carolina had amazing cemeteries. Mm. That we kind of travel around looking at. Cemeteries mm. are awesome. We could do a whole show on that.
0: Yeah, it's like but that. It's like um, that morbid thing. Like uh, talking about the my favorite murder thing. Like, um, Grandma, for instance. Grandma loves murder mysteries, and she loves going to cemeteries. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very much a like a woman thing to do.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because there's history there.
0: She loves him.
1: She's yeah. so funny. She's really funny.
0: Anyway, nice Gavin with you. Nice Gavin with you too. Um till next time. What's on the horizon for us? I don't know. We have the interview. We do have We've have two interview. interviews coming up.
1: Two interviews, possibly a couple more after that. Yes. So, that'll be fun to mix those in. Uh-huh. Ta- then... so there's
0: tomorrow English. Mm-hmm. and Tammy Jo Wilson and then your your artist friends
1: I have a couple friends that might be up for doing it illustrator yes Right. Yeah. we used to work at Utrek art supply store together years ago Um, so that's kind of in the future cool and uh, I'm sure we'll like research some more artists
0: Mm -hmm. yeah email us you guys if you have any ideas
1: yeah or corrections because I'm sure oh yeah there's facts I might have mixed up so it happens all right well till next time
0: See art and nice gambling with you. Nice gambling
1: with you.